Hello and welcome. This is Gart Caution Glenboyg Parish Church's service for Sunday the 26th of July. I'm Dave Slater. I'm delighted we can join in worship together. You can download the order of service for the hymn words. Links should be in the descriptions on Facebook and Podbean. If you're listening back later on our telephone service, perhaps a neighbour or friend can get a copy of the order for you. Notices are at the end of the order of service. They will be going live on Facebook and Zoom this afternoon at 4pm for a cuppa and chat. Wednesday prayer and praise is on pause and will resume in mid-August. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So let us worship God with our first song, The Reign of God Like Farmer's Field. join together in prayer. Dear Lord, who can proclaim your mighty acts or fully declare your praise? Sometimes we struggle to list all that you have done in scripture, in history, in our lives, or we say you're great without specifying why. The psalmist says, blessed are they who maintain justice and do what is right, and we seek to be those people. Give us eyes to see injustice, hearts to refuse to accept it, strong wills to keep doing the right thing. We ask for you to remember us, to show favour to your people, to give us your help and salvation, 
We want to share in the joy, the inheritance of being in your kingdom. But we get things wrong, as those before us have got things wrong. We've acted wickedly, given no thought to you, forgotten your kindnesses, rebelled and gone our own way. Like so many, the Israelites in Egypt and in the wilderness, the gatherings of churches that Paul wrote to, the times in history when the church clung to power and authority instead of being humble and gentle and doing right. But you saved your people at the Red Sea. You sent prophets to call them back through the years, apostles to teach them right ways once again, preachers and teachers to guide on the straight paths. We're sorry for the wrong that we have done, the good that was left undone. And we thank you for your salvation, your forgiveness, your counsel. Help us to believe your promises and sing your praise. Hear our prayers according to that pattern that Jesus taught his friends. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever. Amen. Just a short announcement today that if there's anyone who wants to find out about becoming a church member, let me know as I hope to arrange some online preparation classes. Birthdays coming up include Katie Geddes, Natalie Quaite, Gareth Quaite, and Minnie Coyle. Very happy birthday when the celebrations come. As always, keep family and friends of those who have passed away or those who are ill and in hospital in your thoughts and prayers. Today's reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, from the third of five blocks of Jesus' teaching that Matthew records, and we begin in chapter 13, at verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. And then at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of, the, of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures, 
as well as old. Amen. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. And so we continue examining Jesus' teaching and parables. This week examining a collection of a few parables, but still Jesus is teaching about the nature of the kingdom. We might group these shorter parables together, considering the influence of the kingdom, the cost of the kingdom, and the makeup of the kingdom. And remember that whenever we're thinking about these parables, these stories with a sometimes hidden spiritual meaning, we're also thinking about a kingdom that is different from our earthly kingdoms. Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of heaven, elsewhere called the kingdom of God. It's certainly a group with a ruler or king. God is on the throne. It's one where citizens or subjects are expected to follow the law and directives of the kingdom. But this kingdom doesn't just have a single territory or a physical border. It's made up of people all around the globe, to coin a phrase from every tribe and tongue and people and language. It's a kingdom that operates different from any, differently from any that we have known. Whether we think of monarchies or republics, democracies or autocracies, God's kingdom is something different. So as we consider what these parables tell us, let's keep reminding ourselves that just using the word kingdom, though rightly reminding us about who the king is, might also bring some different expectations. We think of the mustard seed, something that is tiny, yet when planted becomes huge. Of course, people might want to take this apart and say, well, there are smaller seeds out there than the mustard seed. And this may be so, but we know from elsewhere in Scripture that it was still proverbial for being tiny. Jesus referred to, even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. And very likely it became proverbial because of the great contrast between the small seed and the large plant or even tree that it became, despite the fact that there are also larger trees out there. It's that contrast from amongst the smallest to amongst the largest that makes the difference with that illustration that it provided a perch for birds. If we play with this idea for a moment, we might see that a church congregation, no, better to say a small gathering of believers, might seem tiny. But even if they, we, see ourselves as seeds full of potential being planted in the field of the world, if we're ready to be germinated, watered, hoed, pruned, then there is amazing potential for growth in the community. And this is seen around the world and in history. Perhaps one of the most famous examples is China, where all the foreign missionaries were expelled from the country and the borders were closed for decades. Once things started opening up again, the expectation from the outside world was that there would be no Christian community, that the work of evangelism would have to start again from scratch. But no, Despite persecution and the cultural revolution, the church had grown massively from the few Chinese believers who had been there before. The kingdom is like that. From small beginnings, great things can happen. If we push even harder at this image, we can say the kingdom can even provide support for others in its environment, the birds getting a place to perch in its branches. Jesus also illustrates the influence of the kingdom with the way yeast works through the dough and has an effect on it. Now this is a relatively unusual picture because almost always when yeast is portrayed it's seen as an image of something bad or corrupting even. The yeast of the Pharisees as an example. 
the reason why bread used ceremonially was always unleavened. But here it's a more positive picture, but yet maybe also more subversive. It doesn't take a huge amount of yeast to have influence right through the dough, to raise things up, we might say, to add air and lightness and a taste to a life or a world that can sometimes be thick, stodgy, tasteless. Again, we could be in danger of pushing things too far, but in both of these parables it's the influence, and perhaps disproportionate influence to its size, that seems to be in view. Whether a tiny seed, apparently of very little worth, that grows gradually but inevitably into something large and useful, or a small amount of yeast that can have a huge effect on a large mass of dough. The kingdom, or we might say the gospel, for surely the gospel is what all in the kingdom recognise, that gospel, that kingdom, is influential, powerful even. But Jesus gives more parables to enable a fuller picture of this kingdom he is describing. Perhaps there is some need to persuade, to encourage his listeners. Not all disciples, not all followers, some perhaps still to be convinced, to that this is a worthwhile endeavour. But as we know, it's rare that anything worthwhile comes for free. And so the parable of the treasure hidden in a field points to the importance of the treasure that's found. So important that the man looking wanted to ensure his ownership of the field, and therefore the treasure that he found in it. So he sold all he had in order to buy the field, to come into ownership of that treasure. Now, if we were to analyse this in today's terms and values, we might have some concerns. I'm not entirely sure how the law would apply if, for example, a metal detectorist had permission to look in a field, found something, then offered to buy the field without telling the owner why and the owner would likely be a little suspicious. It might be different in other cases. One famous example was the Mildenhall treasure in Suffolk, the story of which was written up in one of his few non-fiction pieces by the writer Roald Dahl. Here, a ploughman working for someone else during the Second World War came across Roman silver treasures buried in a field because he was ploughing slightly deeper than might normally be the case. And rather than declare them at once, as they would be deemed to be treasure trove, and in that case, it turns out, they might have been rewarded with the full value of the hoard, the employer kept and cleaned up the silver and hid it in his house, until after the war, a knowledgeable friend caught sight of a couple of pieces that uh, the, the landowner had left out. He couldn't uh, bear not to have some of it on display. It all came out, and the owner and the ploughman eventually received a much smaller reward, simply because it had not been declared at the time. However, this is a parable. It's expressing a truth but not necessarily giving the full picture. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have used so many different parables to paint that picture of the kingdom. Whatever we think of the ethics of the situation, it's clear that the value put on the treasure by the man finding it in that parable was above everything he owned. Or indeed, by the man who kept the Mildenhall treasure hidden in his sideboard, he valued that above an honest declaration or doing the right thing. Likewise in the tale of the merchant. Here there's less of an ethical grey area. He simply made a judgment and arranged his business affairs, again by selling all his possessions, in order to buy not only a fine pearl but one of great value. Often we talk of the pearl of great price. If you take the parables at face value though, we might ask the question, fine, you own your treasure or your pearl, but what are you going to live on? How are you going to eat? 
but these are parables teaching spiritual truths. The treasure is not something tangible like historic silver or a fine pearl. This is something of greater and deeper worth. The treasure of being in, part of, the kingdom, God's family. Jesus is illustrating that once we discover what it's all about, it's worth giving up everything we have in order to gain it. Jim Elliot, who was killed while a missionary to the Huarani people of Ecuador, wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Possibly echoing a 17th century preacher and ultimately paraphrasing Jesus in Luke 9, 24 and 25. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their very self? So we learn that the kingdom is pervasive and influential in a positive way, but that it's also worth everything if we're willing to give that everything, to pay that cost. And unlike in these parables, it may be that the paying of that cost is not a one-off selling everything we have, but an ongoing long obedience in the same direction, a continuing review of what do I have that I value more than the kingdom? I can certainly say that I am continuing to go through this process and the Holy Spirit still has plenty of work to do in me. In a similar way as we've had two pairs of related parables, the mustard seed in the yeast and the treasure in the pearl, our next parable of the net seems to be one of a pair with the parable of the wheat and weeds that we considered last week. The net is lowered and catches all kinds of fish, and it's only when it's pulled to shore that the fishermen can separate and sort the good fish from the bad. Again, Jesus interprets this as the work that the angels will do at the end of the age, and in doing so reinforces that warning that we do not want to be those who are numbered among the unrighteous, but nor are we called to be the ones who make that judgment about others. Jesus' question about, have you understood all these things, makes me smile slightly. I'm not sure that I've understood them all fully, and every time I read and study, I find more to reflect on and gain a greater understanding. I haven't mentioned the links to the story of the rich young ruler, for example, who lacked only one thing, to sell and give away his riches in order to follow Jesus. He did not recognise the surpassing value of the kingdom, or if he did, he was unable to pay the cost and went away sad. But the reason it makes me smile is that the disciples, who got more insight with parables explained and additional parables given, may still not have had the full picture. But they said, oh yes, we understand. Nonetheless, Jesus rounds off this teaching with another parable, a para-parable, we might say, a teaching about teaching, that there is a need to know both the law and understand the kingdom to be equipped with old and new treasures in the storeroom and be ready to bring them out. With that in mind, perhaps soon we might look to the Old Testament again. But let us trust and pray that we may be those who recognise the value of the kingdom, the worth of the gospel for our own lives, that we may be willing to pay the cost of following Jesus, that we are encouraged to be part of that small but influential band of disciples who bring lightness and positive influence to society around us. In Jesus' name, Amen. And we move into our prayers for others. Let us pray. Dear God and loving Heavenly Father, we're thankful. Thankful for all that we have, all that you've given us. We're thankful for the teaching that we've been given through Jesus 
those parables that we've considered today. And we ask for your help to continue to understand their meaning and their application in our lives. We pray for the concerns that there are in our own lives. And we particularly consider those who've been mentioned for prayer on our WhatsApp group. The friend, S, who has had serious and difficult surgery and was feeling unwell, but we're thankful too for the slow improvement, which has meant that she may be allowed home soon, if not already, and the meaning that the prayers have had for her. We remember another S, a young child who's had scans and more surgery, struggling with medication. And though the human outlook is not good, we know that we believe in a God of miracles and a saviour who said, little girl, get up. And while we dare to pray in hope, we know also that thy will be done. We pray too for their family who will doubtless be struggling and give you thanks for what support friends have been able to give in these challenging times. We give you thanks for whoever placed a stone with a psalm verse on it in the nature reserve, that those passing will see it, read it and think of the one it points to. We think of those taking staycations at home, that they may get some rest and respite from their work. And we remember those who managed to get away, perhaps exploring parts of Scotland they've not seen before. And we think of people who would like nothing more than to leave their own four walls, and we pray on for safety and security for all those in vulnerable categories. Bless our leaders, as we hear of local flare-ups, threatened lockdowns, reimposed quarantine for certain travellers, and in the midst of uncertainties, as we go on, help us to stay trusting in the one who gives all comfort. As always, we ask for your presence and help for those who are mourning, whether that bereavement is recent or longer ago, whatever the cause. We pray for our church, our local churches of Gartkosh and Glenboig. We pray for our neighbouring churches and friends in different denominations and fellowships. As we have decided to delay reopening meantime, yet starting to consider and prepare for what reopening might look like, enable us to continue to offer worship and community as best we can through our individual and neighbourly support, as well as our audio service and phone connections. Be with parents, pupils and staff, all those getting ready for schools returning in August and waiting to hear what the national decision may be about full-time or part-time, distancing or a more normal layout. We pray on for Mark McKeown, thankful that Moody's Burn have been able to progress their vacancy, that he's preached and been elected, and thinking of his and their preparation for his induction in a couple of weeks. Help us, O Lord, to value the kingdom, to recognise the influence we can have, to support others in being the righteous ones that you call, not because of what we have done, but because of who we call on and trust. Lord, hear and answer all our prayers and concerns and give us your grace and peace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our closing hymn is In Heavenly Love Abiding.
thanks as always to Tom for playing. May God, the source of all perseverance and encouragement, grant that you may agree with one another after the manner of Christ Jesus, and so with one mind and one voice may praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you today and always. Amen. We sing our blessing song, May the God of Peace. May the God of Peace go with us as we travel from this place.